and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, it is our policy focus entitled E-Cigarettes and Public Health. And this is an important focus because tragically, almost 500,000 Americans die each year from smoking-related diseases and illnesses. Many of them want to stop but struggle to do so and instead have transitioned from combustible cigarette use to safer e-cigarette and vaping products, which are shown to reduce the harms of tobacco use. But Despite this good news of harm reduction products, there is a large effort by health organizations and lawmakers to eliminate their use. In this episode, we're going to look at the data behind e-cigarettes and vaping products, the regulations imposed upon them, and the best policies and products to reduce tobacco harm, especially among young people. And we have a wonderful guest to break it all down. She is the author of this month's Policy Focus. Her name is Lindsay Stroud. Lindsay Stroud is a visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum, and she is also the director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance's Consumer Center, where her main focus is on providing up-to-date information on adult access to goods, including alcohol, tobacco, and vapor products, as well as regulatory policies that affect adult access to other consumer products. She has testified before state and international lawmakers and led coalition efforts, and it's a pleasure to have her on the program today. Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Beverly, for having me on here. You make me sound a lot fancier than what I feel. (laughs) Well, one of the questions I had for you is how does somebody get into this policy focus studying combustible cigarettes versus e-cigarettes, vaping products? How did you decide to to not only work in the policy field, but go into this specific area? My old job, actually, I worked at the Heartland Institute. And when I signed up, I was still smoking and they were like, oh, hey, you can work on vaping. And I fell in love with it, which you this newfangled technology that came out and these people who were able to quit smoking, these adults that were able to quit smoking using this product um, and seeing just the the nightmare of regulatory action that they were dealing with, um, especially just at the state, the local, state, federal levels. Um, and then, you know, you have the legislatures brought in here, you got courts brought in here. And it's just kind of really fascinating to look at the evolution of adult access to new tobacco products in the United States. Um, and it's very, as, as we'll probably talk about more in this, this podcast is, you know, how increasingly difficult it's getting. Yeah. And people can find this policy focus on IWF's website, IWF.org. So if they want more information, we're going to break it all down here. And I thought we would start uh, by talking about just the history of cigarette use and also what we've learned about its use over the years. So I know probably like many people, most of my grandparents smoked decades ago is before we realized it, it did cause health harm. And many people tried to get off of it. Some people couldn't. And now we have these other products that aren't as damaging um, that do have harm reduction. But can you give us a little history lesson about the origins of cigarettes when we learned that they could cause things like lung cancer and the evolution to the innovation we find ourselves in today? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, tobacco, if you know your history, you know, the, the South and the Civil War, tobaccos have been a staple crop of, of the United States, you know, for years. Um, it wasn't actually until the early 1900s that actually combusted tobacco. What the, Most people tended to actually chew their tobacco back in the day. Then it, the cigarettes weren't a thing until really the last hundred years and everything. Um, but it wasn't until, you know, the 1950s, 1960s that you started seeing the health, the, the health community coming out and kind of studying the effects of cigarettes. And so in 1964, which was two years after um, England had done their report, you had the Surgeon General report on smoking, which linked combustible cigarettes with 
a cancer. So that was pretty much when you started to see this big anti-cigarette smoking. Or I, I, I don't want to call it an anti-push. I, you know, it was push for more information is what I like to call it. Like, hey, these products probably aren't that good for you and you probably shouldn't be advertising them as such. Um, but like since then, you know, you've seen the trying to reduce the cigarette rates because they are, you know, very harmful for you. It's one of the only consumer goods that if you use it as intended, you are going to die by using this product. Um, and in the years since then, you've seen, because it's, it's such a hard addiction, you've seen people trying to quit smoking and not being able to. There's been the pharmaceutical companies have kind of come in with nicotine replacement therapies. Um, the, a lot of the public health people will be like, hey, cold tur- turkey. But researchers kind of started to look at the nuances of why people are smoking. And people, it was set in 19. 19- 75, uh, but it's Michael Russell, who people smoke for the nicotine, but they die from the tar. It's the combustion of cigarettes, which causes the most harm. You can you can chew tobacco, even cigars have a very uh, less risk profile on them. Um, but it's that the whole lighting it up, smoking that part, that's what, like, cigarettes have about 700 ingredients in them. When you light them on fire, it comes into, like, 6,000 chemicals. So you've had modern, you know, products that come out, whether it's smokeless, heat not burn or e-cigarettes, which allow you to get these nicotine without that tar. And so, I know pe- people who have, have a history of smoking understand the addiction and the connection to it. I read an article years ago that I thought was really insightful, and it, and it was somebody who was a smoker talking about a, a cigarette as a relationship. It's always there. Yes. When you need a break, it's there. What do you find from the psych- psychological side and the addiction side? Why is stopping cigarette smoking such a hard thing for people to do? Well, I think you just said it best. Um, you know, you, I think that cigarettes are, you equate them with so many things. You know, people will have a meal and then they have a cigarette or uh, there's a Sam Cooke song, you know, cigarettes and coffee. Uh, you know, you're driving these little, just it's a habit um, that you use. You you, hey, I have my cigarette. This is how I do it. Um, I, I think that's a big part of it. And I think it's also why vaping has been such a really big phenomenon on getting people off of cigarettes because it's that hand to mouth uh, function versus all the other nicotine replacement therapies that you get, whether it's patch or gum, it doesn't mimic what you're used to being able to do. But I, I, people just, you know, it is a relationship. And by the way, I did just quit smoking a week ago, actually. And I'm on my, and when you bring with this habit, um, I just flew into DCA today and that's what I was worried about was like, okay, you get off the plane, you go immediately to get your Uber and you smoke a cigarette. And so it's that, that habit. And I did okay. I vaped instead of smoking, you know, combusted, uh, combusted cigarette. Um, but I think that's what's really difficult because it is, a, it is a consumer good that you do. Like most people smoke a pack a day. That's 20 cigarettes a day. There's a lot of instances that they use that in. Well, let's talk about the innovation of e-cigarettes and vaping products. Break it down to how these products actually work and really why they're healthier. What is it about them that makes them less harmful to people? Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, e-cigarettes aren't even that new. Um, they actually, it was one of the bigger tobacco companies like in the 80s or like 90s that actually introduced and like had actually sold like this would have been like a modern e-cigarette. Um, this it had really lukewarm uh, approval. Uh, but it was in 2007 with Han Lick who came up with what's considered the modern e-cigarette and this the device that we all now see that. And um, it was actually 2003 in China that he kind of invented it, brought it to market. It wasn't until 2007 when they were introduced into the States. And those are the Sigalikes, likes, the old school ones. I think people would probably remember watching the blue commercials, you know, with the, the black little cigarette people were smoking that you could smoke inside. Um, 
And the, the advent of, like, I mean, it really is a consumer-driven good. You had Han Lick, this inventor who kind of came out with this technology, and it's, you know, people were able to actually use it and been able to quit smoking. So the technology of an e-cigarette, it consists of a battery, um, and then it consists of a uh, liquid that you then heat, you use that battery to heat up that liquid, and it produces an aerosol. Um, and that liquid, it's about usually five ingredients, um, mostly for nicotine, flavoring, um, propylene glycol, and um, vegetable, vegetable glycerin. Um, all of those are actually found in combustible cigarettes, maybe not the glycerin or anything, but the combustible cigarette has a heck of a lot more um, other chemicals added to it um, that you light on fire and you don't light this on fire. So the, the aerosol that's produced is significantly less harmful. Um, a Cochrane review just came out about a month ago, actually, that did find that e-cigarettes are also like helpful. They're more helpful in nicotine replacement therapies, the FDA approved ones and helping adults quit smoking. Um, so they have been beneficial in reducing cigarette, you know, smoking rates among adults. Um, and it's very limited data, but I mean, they're pretty amazing. If you and there's been a lot of, it's unfortunate that you know, the the regulatory playing field in the states. There's been a lot of um, hindrance on being able to, I guess, tweak and evolve this technology. And in order for you to be able to market your product in America, you have to go through the pre-market tobacco product application process. Millions of dollars going in there. Um, and if you want to, like, you know, say there's a problem with your product or, you know, years down the road, you'd have to go do another application in order to address that. So we're kind of stunted in tobacco harm reduction in the states um, just through the regulatory process. Well, one of the things I think is interesting is when you think about other ways people try to stop smoking, Nicorette gum is what pops into mind. That's never thought of as a negative thing. If somebody is using Nicorette to stop smoking, you think that's a positive step. Do people not feel the same way about e-cigarettes for a certain reason, do you think? Oh, they hate e-cigarettes. Um, well, it's uh, Nicorette gum is a, it's, I like to call it the battle between the tobacco companies and the pharma companies. Uh, Nicorette is produced by one of the larger ph uh, pharmaceutical companies. Uh, there's this, this wonky notion that e-cigarettes are this new, newfangled device, you know, to get this next generation hooked. And actually, if you look at the history of, um, e-cigarettes and even big, quote unquote, big tobacco being involved with it, E-cigarettes first came into America in 2007. It wasn't until 2012 with one of the larger tobacco companies purchasing one of the then existing e-cigarette brands. So they kind of looked at it like it was a gimmick. Um, but when you compare it to any other consumer good, you know, we're not stopping Volkswagen from making an electric vehicle. If anything, we're trying to like tell them that if you look at California, which is banned flavored, you know, flavored tobacco and e-cigarette products, um, you know, in by 2035, all of their vehicles have to be electric vehicles. So we get this. Well, cars can be safer, but we we're, we but we're not. Nobody's banning combustible cigarettes. Now, is the argument that there's enough science that shows that still e-cigarettes are harmful to you, that it causes lung cancer, among other things, vaping products are harmful to you. So that's why it needs to be regulated. Now, whether or not that's a good argument or not, is is that their perspective that these are still extremely harmful? And is that accurate? Does uh, the science back that up? There's no science to back it up. Uh, the big argument is the what if, uh, the long term. Uh, that seems to be now. We have, you know, over 10, 10 years of research on the immediate health effects of e-cigarettes, and they are significantly less harmful. Um, government, public health agencies are, you know, have 
actually studied this unbiasedly and they are finding like, you know, when you compare it to a combustible cigarette, the aerosol that's produced from an e-cigarette is tremendously less harmful. Um, the big thing now that we don't know these long-term damage, which is a stupid argument when you think of it, it's like, well, if there's no short-term damage, uh, what long-term, what, where's this long-term damage going to come out of? Um, and that's the kind of argument, but I think it just comes back to that, you know, quote unquote, big tobacco, we, you know, they had their day in court, they got found guilty and they just have a stain on their back and we don't, you know, we'd rather destroy them. But you're seeing a lot of these like flavor bands pop up across the country. And it was mentioned in the other, uh, the Westchester County, New York, the other night just had it. Um, you know, why are we banning all cigarettes? If we understand that these are harmful, but there's a lot of money in cigarettes. There still isn't a lot of money that comes from e-cigarettes. Um, the FDA get is complete the FDA Center for Tobacco Products is completely funded by user fees, uh, which tend to be paid for by the consumers of those tobacco products. And it's only on six product categories. It's not any of these newer devices. So like uh, e-cigarettes are not included on that, um, but cigarettes are. So when you look at the regulatory playing field, if if I was going, it's kind of like a business, you know, why would I sit here and authorize a product if I'm making no money off of that product? One of the things I have found very fascinating about even the vaping side of things is at the same time, there have been these increase in regulations against e-cigarettes and vaping products. You have an increased uh, interest and support and states making changes to law on marijuana usage. And so why is marijuana usage looked at as, oh, that's good and, and people can use that. But then when you get into the, the nicotine side, the tobacco side, that's thought of as evil. How, what do you make of the dichotomy of this thinking? It's pretty amazing. I'm glad that you brought that up, um, especially when you're when you're when. And I've actually done a little bit of work behind the scenes on some federal cannabis reform stuff. And my big thing is make sure that the FDA does not regulate it because it's going to, you're only going to have the big companies. Um, a lot of it, I know the, the big thing is the racial issue that comes in. So, you know, and then what's amazing, the marijuana issues is that you're not seeing the youth issue, but youth use of any products is going down on all of them, like the drugs, alcohol, tobacco. If you look at the numbers, they, you know, they're, they're not as fun as kids as they used to be 10 years ago. Quote, I'm, I'm joking about that, people. But uh, there is that interesting thing that you are, you know, New York, I think, is the best example. You ban, you know, flavored, naked, you fl ban flavored e-cigarette products and then sign the bill the next day to recreational marijuana. Um, I think that it's I think it all comes back to this idea that, you know, it's big, bad tobacco just coming after your kids, which is unfortunate because it's not, you know, I mean. Big tobacco was actually forced to change because their consumers um, forced to change them. But it is going to be interesting to see over the next, you know, two years to see what are the policies, you know, the, if you're going to see like an increase in youth use of these products that you have, you know, did legalize um, and, and what's the repercussions of, you know, banning flavored e-cigarettes you have already seen in some localities, for example, um, San Francisco, when they had banned, they banned it flavored e-cigarettes back in like 2018. And you saw an increase in youth using combustible cigarettes. I know I've been tracking 18 to 24 year old data um, on smoking rates and three out of the four states with flavored e-cigarette bans did see an increase in smoking rates among their 18 to 24 year olds or young adults. Yet when you look at all of the states on average, it decreased by 20% between 2020 and 2021. 
Well, I want to take a brief moment to talk to you, our listeners. You may know the Independent Women's Forum is a leading national women's organization dedicated to enhancing people's freedom, opportunities, and well-being. But did you know that we are also here to bring you women and men on the go the news? You can listen to our High Noon podcast, an intellectual download featuring conversations that make free society possible. Hear guests like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin discuss the most controversial subjects of the day or join us for happy hour without the bar. We're hosts Inez Stepman and Jennifer Bracera's chat on the latest issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or search for High Noon or At the Bar in your favorite podcast app. Now, Lindsay, I I do want to focus just a little bit on young people there. You, You were just mentioning that regulations on e-cigarettes and vaping products don't necessarily make your child not smoke, not use them. And I think so many people, when they hear about regulations on vaping products, e-cigarettes, they think, well, I don't want my child to smoke, so this is a good thing to do. What is your main argument to people on why regulations won't necessarily help your children and definitely don't help those who are trying to quit smoking? Well, the e-cigarette regulations don't take into account that uh, flavors are very important to adults. Um, you always see politicians, you know, oh, this is the, the, the flavors are only there to attract children. But no, flavors have act as both getting people, they help people quit smoking cigarettes because they taste so much better. And then also once they're, you know, used to, you know, sucking that flavor and, you know, sucking a combustible cigarette doesn't feel as good. Um, but also you see time and time again on these youth surveys, because they do ask youth uh, recently too, in the 2021 one, they asked, you know, among kids who had ever even tried to say it tried an e-cigarette and ones that were currently using e-cigarettes and overwhelmingly they're not citing flavors as a reason for using them. They, um, the among youth that are among youth who have just tried an e-cigarette overwhelmingly, they tried it because they're fried Um, among kids that were currently using e-cigarettes over 50% of them cited feeling anxious, depressed or stressed. And that's why they use them. And that's where I think, it's really unfortunate. There's something going on with our youth right now. And we're all kind of like, we're, I guess, throwing out this tobacco vaping issue where, you know, there's more things and you now and kids aren't using these products because of the flavors. They're using it because they're anxious, stressed or depressed. Let's go and talk about that because it's more than them just using tobacco. There's a, a whole slew of other things that happen with that one. Um the, the big thing, too, with the youth is that you did see, you know, you were watching gradually um, with uh, after suing the tobacco companies in the 90, in 1990s, um, you know, federal cigarette taxes, state cigarette taxes. You were seeing gradually youth tobacco, youth cigarette use was declining. So then you started in 2015 seeing an uptick in kids using e-cigarettes. Now, when you look at the numbers, um, it looks like youth vaping kind of peaked in 2019. And that's when you had about one in five kids had were quote unquote current e-cigarette users, which current is defined as having used an e-cigarette or a tobacco product on at least one occasion and the 30 days prior to the survey. So it's not, it's not like they were doing it every day. Um, you know, they could have just been at a party and they would be confined as a current user, but you've seen that decrease. Um, you know, even in the black, I want to say it's like 11% now. Um, so it's, it's great. You know, we, we should be celebrating those policies that have seen already a decrease with this newfangled device. Of course, kids were going to use it. You're, Show me a product that doesn't have that doesn't that no kids never get their hand onto it. Um, but you know, I think the flavor bands are just a little bit hard hitting. I, I don't think they address why kids are using these products. Um, you know, and I think a lot of it's 
just fear mongering and the, the whole, it goes back to this, Oh, it's big tobacco coming after your kids. And it's like, no, it's not, but you can, you know, get back to why are kids using these products? And so when we look at what policy should look like on the state level and on the federal level, what is it that you think people should be supporting? Oh, uh, okay. Well, I know uh, it's a big, broad question. <laughs> I would. Okay. So, I mean, regulatory regulations, um, if you're going to, if you're going to regulate tobacco products, they should be regulated on uh, their harm, the continuum of harm. Um, even Scott, you know, the former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb had, you know, that the, the, their tobacco products are on this continuum of harm. You've got combustible cigarettes that are the most harmful and then nicotine replacement products, which are the least harmful. And that's the regulation should be, reflective of how much harm that they're doing um, to a person, to a consumer that uses them. Um, I worry the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. I ain't going to sit here and say, go tax them. But if we're going to, if you know, I know um, right now you have over half the states that do tax um, electronic cigarettes and other novel tobacco products. Um, and some of the, there's a few states that they tax them where um, I want to say it's Kentucky that actually has a higher tax rate on that than combustible cigarettes. If you're going to tax them, once again, the continuum of harm, the tax rate, you know, we use excise taxes to deter people from using these products. Um, if you have a cigarette smoker and you know that uh, this alternative is going to be safer for them to use, well, you should be, you know, in, encouraging them to go to that safer product, not, you know, taxing that product the same way that you would tax a cigarette. So, um, and it's a gimmick. I, you know, when you look at the youth vaping issue, it's a lot of anecdotes and not a lot of substance. I mean, when you start breaking down some of these numbers and the way that you're even seeing that, you can go look at the FDA, you can go look at the CDC. They conflate the numbers all the time. So it, it, when it's like 11.5% of youth that are current, that are current, current, but they're all talking about, well, that percentage of youth, the ones and that, that little, that 11.5% that, uh, that are using it every day. And so then you have these news media sources that are like, oh, 24% of kids are daily, you know, e-cigarette users. Well, it's, no, it's 24% out of that 11.5%, which is like 3% when we do these numbers. But trying to do math with both lawmakers and, and media, oh, <laughs> fun. <laughs> well, then a final question for you on this, and, and maybe you want even answer this from a personal perspective, I'll leave that up to you. But when many people do switch from combustible cigarettes to e-cigarettes or vaping products, are they hoping that they stop altogether? Or do they view this as something that is less harmful and they're willing to take on some sort of health risk um, because they enjoy it so much? Or, or what are we finding as people's um, health? What, what do they expect when they do make this transition? Me, I've been, I was accidental. I was just like, oh, hey, you didn't smoke in a day. Let's see if you could just do it. And, you know, and it's been fine, except, you know, the airport um, and where you really want a cigarette. But yeah, most people know, um, you know, the vape shops have been really good at being able, they're not technically allowed to actually talk about the health benefits of e-cigarettes. Um, but a lot of people do actually, because of vaping with the open system e-liquids, you can actually taper down your nicotine level so that at some point you're vaping zero nicotine. So now it's just like a hand to mouth thing and you can actually, you don't really have that, I guess, quote unquote, physical addiction. Um, but I mean, the, all of the, the anecdotes from people, um, you know, they're, they're, their lungs are better. I've heard stories from people. I've seen some lung scans actually from people that their lungs look like they never smoked and they've been vaping for the past decade, you know? So this, the, the harm on there that this alarmism with the harm, I mean, it's just not there with the people that you're seeing. So, but they are, 
and taking control of their life. And I think it's one of the probably the coolest things about vaping, at least right now, um, that, you know, there is some control over it. You can kind of still pick your device. You can you're not supposed to be able to have access to it. But, yeah, you could still pretty much get some e-liquids um, in certain states and everything. Um, and you can choose your nicotine level and you can choose how you do it. And I mean, it's very personal versus going to a C store and, you know, getting a pack of Marlboros or what are, you know, new courts. Well, I think it's such a fascinating topic and often one that people don't talk about too much because it is one of those hot button issues. And I think it's important as we look at regulations and policy to know the facts of what's going on. So thank you so much for your research and also putting out this policy focus. Again, it is called e-cigarettes and public health. You can find it at IWF.org. Lindsay Stroud, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. Before you go, I do want to let you know that IWF does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. And investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting IWF.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review on iTunes. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends know where they can find more she thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching.